Welcome to Live for Live Music presents Inside Out with Turner and Seth. And nice to be aligned with Live for Live Music. You know, just this week, Seth, I was looking at the website and I saw something that I really like about the website. Oh, uh, did you, Rob? John Belushi. It was his birthday, and they did a little. Oh, piece. happy birthday! Yeah, it was pretty cool. And John Belushi, who, by the way, was a theater trained before he was Saturday Night Live. They had to talk him into Saturday Night Live. This guy was ridiculously talented before Saturday Night Live. Anyways, they took. Uh, an excerpt from Bill Kreutzmann's book, which he co-wrote with ben- Benji Eisen. And then they also, uh, you know, put a little link to the show at which he sat in with the dead for the encore once. So I thought that was a pretty good way to musically tribute John Belushi. I was pretty sad. Absolutely. Although I was a little bummed that our first episode with an exclusive interview with Brendan Bayless never made it to the top of their news feed. Usually you get the more recent ones are at the top, but they had this review that had been published before ours which, quite frankly, was just a retelling of the set list. It wasn't really a review, and then we were constantly buried under it, so I was a little disappointed with that, but we still got the most response uh, for Live for Live Music Twitter-wise of the day. We got 700 listens already, and we really appreciate everybody. We really appreciate all the new listeners. We have Live for Live Music to thank for some of that. And uh, very exciting times, but Seth, you just got off Jam Cruise. Talk to me. Literally... Literally just off the boat, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sitting here at Miami International Airport on my way to St. John, where my son just learned how to swim. I cannot wait to jump in the pool with him in the ocean. And then it's off to Mexico for the next uh, Cloud9 events, Cast Away, One Big Holiday, which is my second favorite to Jam Cruise. But before I even go on with any of that, i got some Jam Cruise stuff to talk about. And we'll, I'll, I'll save most of it for the, uh, for the end, the outro here, if you will. But I want to give a big yeah. mention to the new, a new band, The Suffers. Seth, Cam is, Seth is so excited this about this. Singer, this lead singer is incredible. Cam Franklin of the Suffers. Uh, their story, I won't even get into it now. We're going to have them as a guest sometime in the future, in the next year. But uh, I will say this, though. A new band. Uh, she sat in with Galactic. She's, she is a powerhouse. The band behind her is great. Well, hold on. The Suffers. Hold on. Who else did you, you said she sat in with a bunch of people, not just Galactic, right? Yes, but Rob, 
We'll have to wait to Scotty B to tell us who she said. And with these, he's everywhere. I'm only oh, places. <laughs> I'm so glad you mentioned him because I, I sometimes make fun of Scotty B because as knowledgeable as he is about fish, and if you're a fish fan, you should know at Hey Scotty B on Twitter. You should totally know he's one of the leading voices in fish. Although I sometimes he uh, again reviews shouldn't contain, in my opinion, stuff that you can get from a set list. And he'll he'll talk about show gaps and all this stuff in the middle of the review. I feel like I have to read it with a calculator sometimes. But this is Scotty B at his best. When he goes on Jam Cruise, amidst all the chaos and all the revelry, he does his job. He goes to almost every stage. He tells you about all the sit-ins, on what song. He's so thorough. It's his amazing the way he comes. No one has ever covered Jam Cruise as well as Scotty B. Jam Cruise should crown him the mayor of that boat because he does such a good job bringing what happened to the people in a clear-headed way. I, I, I totally, he must be saluted for that. Excellent job once again, Scott Bernstein. And I, I see him more in the elevator than I see anybody. I mean, he. I'm going up to the pool deck. He's on his way to the theater, and I've missed everything that you, I could have missed because he, he, he. It's like, how does he know when people are going to sit in? Because he's he's always there. He's dialed always in. there at the moment. And I make fun of you, Seth, uh, uh, about not seeing the music, but it's understandable on Jam Cruise because you're you're very busy. You're working. You put together activities. Can you give us one favorite activities moment? I'm going to give you two. One. Benny Bloom, all the rage with Benny Bloom. We did a little talk show where he uh, yeah, he uh, he did the talk show. I was a hey now, I did the hey now, and um, and <laughs> oh man, he put together such a good band, and and he uh, interviewed uh, Soul Sister from New Orleans and Grizz, uh, and we did a little music trivia with them, and it was a bl- I mean, I, the whole weekend people came up to me telling me how great that was, and people had such a good time. It was really funny, and the second thing was. Jamly feud. It was our family feud with Mo versus Percy Hill, and <laughs> it was. Uh, yeah, I was hosting it. I was I was full out in my uh, my uh, MC attire, uh, and it, yeah, it was so good. The bands they had fun, and and Rob, you know, doing these activities. Sometimes we have a nice crowd. Sometimes big. Sometimes small. This was a big crowd. The atrium was packed, and it was a show. This was like people were like, you know in it the whole time, an hour-long thing. They were fully into it, yelling out what they thought the answers were. and Oh, it was fantastic. That sounds the great, feedback man. feedback was amazing. All right, so a few Umphreys things um, before we get to this interview. I, I want to, first of all, uh, shout out to all my brothers fans. We're so sorry about Butch Trucks. Uh, very sad news. Uh, we'll, we have a guest in mind that, uh, for the near future. Until we confirm him, we won't say, but he'll have some, a lot to say about Butch Trucks. Um, as far as Umphreys, we mentioned Zonky and the London Sessions, which if you're an Umphreys fan, you don't own the London Session. I mean, they recorded at Abbey Road. Buy that CD. But um, if you remember last year after the, my Colorado trip, I raved about the Red Rock shows that they played, and the band has released them as a video. And I, I have not seen it yet. I hear it's excellent. And uh, if it's tour gigs that did it, they do wonderful um, producing. All, all the video stuff is just fantastic with Humphreys. You know, it's, sometimes it's tough trying to watch it live, but once you actually get it, just so well-directed, so well-done, all Humphreys videos, and those shows were blistering. So look it out. It's called Red Rocks Repeat, and there's also a new subscription service for Humphreys um, that you can uh, hear, stream every live show. That's available through nugs.net. And all the music you heard on this episode, uh, part two of Brendan Bayless and last week, and the Umphreys music that you will hear on the Chris Mitchell episode are from the Tabernacle Run, which they just did in Atlanta. And that and all Umphreys shows are available on umlive.net. 
And I want to thank everybody on the board, which is, if you're an Upfreeze fan, you should be on the board. T-H-E-B-O-R-T.com. I thought they were going to hammer us, Seth, and they were very nice about, the, uh, about our work with Brendan. Well, you know, Rob, I think it's because you didn't give any uh, requests during our interview. That maybe is why they liked you. Oh, I'm glad you <laughs> mentioned that. Uh, people have asked me why I didn't talk about the request thing that happened at New Year's and why all these shout-outs have been happening. That is at the end of the Pete Sears interview. If you go to our episode, what would that be, Seth? 21 with Pete Sears. Uh, 22? Mm. 22, I think. Go to the yeah. very end, the end segment, I talk about the uh, setless snafu thing that happened uh, during uh, New Year's Eve and how it spilled over into Atlanta, but we don't need to tell that story again. I think what we, we don't, but you know what story we got to tell, Rob? Tell us! We got to tell part two of Brendan Bayless. What a great interview it was, and uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this next, uh, this next piece here. And Stick around at the end. I've got some tales I want to tell you all about Jam Cruise. And I'll tell you about some of my recent dealings, including being high above Atlanta when the Falcons won the National Football Conference Championship. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dirty, dirty birds, baby. And they're playing my other favorite team in the Super Bowl. Should be fun. Uh, so anyways, man, here we go. Here we go for part two of our interview with Brendan Bayless. Enjoy. One time where there was a spike in popularity for Memphis McGee, and that was in the immediate wake of the 2004 Bonnaroo performance. Mm-hmm. What are your memories of that, and does the band consider that a landmark show? Yeah, I do remember it was the first time that we all, it was the biggest crowd we'd ever played for, and I think we were probably one of the earlier first bands to play the festival, so everyone was fresh, and it was... I, as fresh as you could be in right, the Tennessee yeah. heat, and, yeah. Yes, <laughs> oh, yes, it was disgusting, but um, a lot of disgusting stories from that weekend. But I, I, I remember us all kind of realizing that this was an opportunity because all of our peers were there. Everybody was playing that festival, and I remember thinking, "We're about to find out where we are," and I'll take it or leave it, you know. And and true classic Humphreys McGee fashion the power went out yeah. halfway through I can't remember what song it was and it was just here we are at our, the biggest moment of our careers at this time the largest crowd and as an electric guitar player you need electricity and it was just like drum solo <laughs> and 
it was a very like the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away, and that's kind of the story of my life and our career. And um, we got we got power back, finished the set, whatever. And then the next night, or maybe it was that night, um, I think it was Keller Williams and String Cheese, and the same thing happened. The power went out on them, and then I think it was maybe it was. Kevin Browning or somebody who was with our team knew what was wrong and kind of pointed someone in the right direction like this and it all came back but to see that happen to them made me I don't know it's a terrible thing to say but it made me feel a lot better about myself <laughs> and the Mo Mo came in, in in the middle and took over right yeah now how does that come together and was that sort of a thank you because they kind of helped you when you were a smaller band right was that sort of been awesome to us from the beginning they basically were like big brothers and I, I remember in my senior year in Notre Dame I sent Al an email and I went hey I saw this band cover one of your songs I could probably get you the tape if you want it and he wrote back right away he's like this is crazy yes I'd love to hear it and I sent him the tape it was me obviously but um and that kind of introduced us to them and then um we got some opening spots and then that bonnaroo um they played a late night show i think and i was on the side of the stage and i was i had no business being in public or you know out and talking or anything and al looks at me he's like come on because they were playing that song and I, I hadn't played at that point. I, I hadn't played in three years, oh, wow. so he pulls me up, and I can't remember if I was what I. It was very drunk, and I get up there. He just hands me the guitar, and I'm like in front of all these people, out of my mind. This is not happening. Okay, shit, this is happening. And his guitar was very, very low. It's like punk. His strap was very. So he's putting it on me, and it's like at my knees, and I'm looking at him like. You got to fix the strap, man. I can't even play. He's like, "Are you serious?" And he just walks away. <laughs> so I'm like, uh, like very awkwardly trying to figure out what to do. And it was a part. I think it was Rebubula. And there's a. It was right when this the stops and starts were happening, and I'm supposed to know it. And I start playing part of YYZ, but in the key of D to fit, and it it kind of worked. And then it gets to the open jam, and they're all looking at me, and I'm like, "I'm out of here, dude. I can't. I can't be here." But I appreciate the gesture. Yeah, they've been very, very good to us. You said a lot of nasty stories came out of Bonnaroo 2004. Can you share one? Yeah, we slept in a tent. And uh, right behind the back, um, there's like a line of a fence and some trees and then a dirt road in the main stage. So we all we all camped in a tent. Wait, I was in that same campground. Yeah. You're probably... Maybe, so, so this could have been you that did this. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, no. So there was a... Did you have a shirt on? <laughs> I, well, I didn't see who did it, but there was like a a shower station, right? And there's a very there's like maybe five showers, and this is the only chance for us to get a shower for the whole weekend. And it's mine waiting in line. And I get around the corner, I walk in, I open the door, and there's a gigantic shit Ugh. in the middle of the shower. And I was like, "Well, welcome to Bonnaroo. Welcome to Bonnaroo. <laughs> I'm not taking a shower this weekend." And that was that was. That's one. I'll just give you that one. Probably would, you say that, uh, <laughs> would you say that the Bonnaroo was, uh, is kind of also where the Disco Biscuits and your relation, uh, Humphrey's relationship started really getting, getting exciting? Because you guys have, a, have obviously had an, an interesting relationship of a lot of pranks and things through the years. Yeah, it's funny because the first time we opened for the Disco Biscuits uh, was Martyrs. And I remember they were, they were blowing up. And they were kind of in their own world, and 
we were like these young kids with the shitty name and they didn't really give us <laughs> time of day at all. And I remember um, Barber walked off stage and he had his pedals and I, I was like, do you mind if I move one of these to, uh, you know, just so I can get me? And he looked at me, he's like, don't touch anything. And he walks away. I was like, okay, New York. Right, no, yeah, totally. And I get it. I, I get it, you know? And, and then I think, I think they didn't really give us a chance at the time. And I would, I get, I wouldn't have either, you know? And then we came out to play Santa Cruz and they, that's when they moved out there. Right? Yeah. They all Briefly. moved out there. And we, I think we had made enough noise at that point that they, they were like, okay, let's go check these guys out. And I remember Magner walks in backstage with a 12 pack of Budweiser. And I was like, you get it. Like, you're not going to, you're not the guy that's going to walk backstage and start grabbing people's stuff and drink. He brought his own. And I thought that was, that was very legit. And that was our first like real hang. I think we'd kind of pushed our way into their circle. I always remember Bonnaroo, your buses would always be right next to each other. Yep. Yeah, we've gotten in a lot of trouble together. I think I have a permanent right shoulder injury from Barber. He body slammed me because um, Adam Budney got behind him on his legs, and I was talking to him and just shoved him. And I knocked, oh. I took Barber out, and then he picked me up and dropped me. And I couldn't lift my arm for – I couldn't extend it for like two weeks. I forgot about it, and then I had like a massage, and the therapist was like – did you ever tear your rotator cuff? So, <laughs> there you I have, have scars. It. It's because of Barbara and Brownie that a lot of Disco Biscuits fans think your name is Brandon Bayless. Good. Well, <laughs> you like that? No, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I have stories too, but yeah. that's for the. I know we only time. have we only have so much time. Um, I want to talk about as the band starts to grow, mm-hmm. and you have your core fan base, but you start to flesh out your sound. Do you get any frustration when the band, when some of your fans are resistant to the changes in the band? Like, for example, you have a song called No Diablo mm-hmm. that is maybe one of the most wizened lyrics you've ever written. But seemingly because it doesn't have a big freak out jam or implied improv or something, the fans right. shit on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that a problem with you? I, I want to talk about this criticism thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, some t- you know, at some point... It, obviously when you when you work on a song it's kind of like having a kid and you want you want people to like it and whereas like vetter says it's like your blood yeah you know you don't you you yeah it's it's important to you and obviously it's if it's well received you're going to feel a lot better about yourself um but i've learned through many failures that it's just not going to you can't please everybody so for me as long as the guys in the band like it that's the most important thing and I, you know, there's never going to be that when a band starts and grows, right? People latch on in the beginning. And then when more and more people come in and the songs change and the music changes, people want that old thing. And it's just like, we're not the same people. I'm not who I was when I was 22. I mean, the things that I thought were important then don't mean shit now. So. It, you can't help but change. So for me, when nobody likes No Diablo, but when I get in my car and I'm driving my kids to school and uh, my son goes, play Dada's song. Like, and I start playing it and they sing along, then I don't care anymore. You know? it's like, so no, it doesn't bother me the way it used to. No, I don't mean to be misleading. Ah! 
Well, because you also have the other end of it. There is criticism from the fans that I think is justified when they're criticizing the execution or this show or that show because the underlying thing is they're still coming back and seeing you. So mm-hmm. they're criticizing compared to other stuff that you do. So the fact that they're still coming and interested enough and analyzing like a sports fan does a box score or whatever, I mean, that right. seems like mm-hmm. even the criticism would be gratifying. Yeah, and I think, I'm just going to touch on that. Sure. I think that the way that your relationship, their relationship, Mumphrey's relationship with the fans is a little different than a lot of a lot of bands because you engage with your fans. You have you have times where the fans can text in and, and drive the, the jams and yeah, drive, the, drive, the, um, drive what music you're going to play. And like the, the creative value of that's huge mm-hmm. because you're actually engaging with your fans. It's not just a meet and greet. It's a, it's a meet and decide to where the show's going to like go. It's like, this is your fault. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then you go in the back and you start yelling, God damn it, no one picked <laughs> <laughs> No one picked No Diablo again. Um, at some point, I used to get bothered by critiques, and then I realized that at least they're talking about you. Yeah. You know, at least you're on the radar. So better be talked shit about than not talked at all, right? I tell my wife that all the time. You can talk all the shit you want about me, but you're and still talking about me. <laughs> she does. <laughs> and I got to say, you uh, you guys have a Tom Brady-like eye toward longevity. Um, and I want to know when that started. I think that yeah. some things that are a bummer in the short term are actually, that's a great ringtone. Yeah, you can't miss that, man. Okay, we got, that's the snooze. All right. But can, um, can you talk about when you made the decision to finish the gig, get back to the family? You know, a lot, a lot of things that are a bummer in the short term, but in the long run, maybe a little lighter touring in October, that kind of stuff. Can you talk about that well, decision-making process? first off, process? it's funny you say Tom Brady because the guys in the band have nicknamed me Belichick. Oh, that's <laughs> very nice. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think it's a flattering comment. It's commentary. Maybe it's because of the sweatshirt or maybe it's because I'm... Belichick-esque and a side note my dad knows Bill Belichick from playing squash with him and he said he's a very competitive dude but um also a deadhead Dylan fan is he? oh yeah I had no idea oh yeah well, he needs to lighten up oh I can see the Dylan now he's <laughs> <laughs> he's a jokester he's okay he just doesn't want to give the press stuff that's I don't want to talk about him. I'll interview him later yeah okay yeah he's up next <laughs> you're listening to sports radio with um, Rob yeah, Turner yeah well so for, for us I think we hit a point where People started getting married, and then Jake had a kid, and we all kind of took our gloves off, and apparently we're all potent, and we're all producing children at a rapid rate. And it kind of became something where it's like, for us to do this for 20 more years, we've got to scale it back now, and otherwise we're going to burn out. And and now it's at a point where we're so far in, I'm not qualified to do anything else. I graduated from college in 1998 with an English philosophy degree from Notre Dame. I don't even know what I, if I had to apply for a job on Monday. I don't even know. Elementary school teacher. Yeah, yeah, great. It's, summer's off. Well, speaking of summer, so you know, if the family, so actually, that summer is my, camp is that is my backup. My backup plan is to teach, but hopefully, I never have to. And summer camp now it literally is your kid's summer camp. Holidays is is grown into this thing where it's not you know for the fans it's awesome and all but for the for the artists it's it's it used to be we would be able to get the artists to do you know a lot more things but now it's well you know this day is off for their family and they're playing the next day so they can't do that yeah well you um, know it's funny you is I'm starting a petition for uh, for holidays to be kid free because the flight home was so terrible with oh. my three kids I had cry- all my kids are freaking out crying. I got Umphrey's fan sitting in front of me, behind me, on the side, and I kept just five hours and 15 minutes, and I'm looking at them all just going, I'm sorry. (laughs) 
So, Here, hold my kid. Don't take a photo with me. Just take a photo of my kid. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm in the, I'm in the security line, and my one son is like, "Dad, I gotta go potty now." And this one kid's like, "Hey, can I get a picture?" I'm like, "Well, my son's shitting his pants <laughs> right now, and we're in a foreign country. The flight's about to leave. Sure, let's get this picture right now." But um, I, give him the diaper as a souvenir. <laughs> <laughs> well, Humphreys gives a shit. <laughs> funny enough, we did not pack enough diapers, so that we were on the last one. And that's why Barbara ran out of t-shirts this year. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I'm starting speaking a petition. Of, speaking of shit, we'll leave that story for the... <laughs> Excellent. For <laughs> part <time>. two. <laughs> um, rapid fire questions since we're running out of time. Your okay. most memorable guest appearance. Which guest? Sit-in wise. Ooh. More stand-ins. Uh, it's crazy. Um, there's a lot. Uh, the, the craziest one, I think, is maybe Sinead O'Connor. Just because when she at the jammies, oh, oh yeah, right. she yeah. walked in the room and it was Huey Lewis, Mavis Staples, Sinead O'Connor, Jeff Coffin, and we're all kind of like trying to figure out. Okay, I'm trying to pretend I belong. <laughs> Just be cool, be cool, be cool. And she looks at Huey Lewis and she says, "One of my friends said she shagged ya," <laughs> and he said, "Was I any good?" <laughs> And then we all started laughing, and it became cool. And then when we walked off stage after, yeah, and then we played the song, I'll Take You There, and Sinead put her arm around me. She goes, that was good. And I was like, Sinead, okay, this is cool. This Very is, cool. Did not see that one coming. So maybe yeah. that one is the most bizarre. Josh Redman, improv, improvised set. Yeah. Are you using, do you teach him some of the hand signals? Or yes. You, you did? Yes. I mean, with, well, were you on, at all explain, explain hand signals, though, okay, for our listeners. So A, B, C, like the shape, and then right. we pointed our crotch for D. Right. If you take a half step forward, it's a half step up. If you right. take a half step back, it's a half step back. Um, smiles major, frowns minor, those kind of things. And at first he thought we were kidding, but <laughs> it's cool. He he appreciates it because it's it, we don't stay in one key forever. And he even stepped up and led the jam at points a little oh, yeah. bit. Yeah, and it, it, we're doing something with him in two weeks, and it's probably the sixth, fifth, sixth, or sixth, I don't know how many times now, but enough that I think he really does genuinely like us, that well, he's coming back this many times. And I, I'm just throwing this out there. I imagine with uh, Chris's musicianship and his music knowledge and theory knowledge and all this sort of stuff, mm-hmm. he probably clicks really well, that those two click well or no? Yeah, absolutely. Some of the best stuff is when we break it down to just the two of them mm-hmm. and let it simmer and, and hop back in, because that's two world-class players, and I just... I'm taking a month off drinking right now, but when that happens, oh shit, I'll still be off. So I can't just sit and watch and drink. <laughs> you can drink water. I can. I can hydrate. Hydrate. Mm. So Brendan, I represent the fan side on this show, and I, I got to ask you. Um, sometimes things can happen that aren't the fault of the band that can reflect poorly on them. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, when you're choosing where to play, do things come in, come into play? Like when you hear back when you started the show on New Year's Eve. And also Friday here in Tabernacle, which really disappointed me because they usually get them in Tabernacle. When you started, there were still people, you know, around the corner on the block paying customers who didn't get in. And I would think that would be a concern because the difference between a great draw and an okay draw is the casual fan. And the casual fan's more likely to come late. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Do you guys, does, is that part of the conversation or is that all Joel's thing? How much does the band talk about that? Because Joel, uh, again, I want to tell people Joel still remains the liaison between the band and the management, right? Pretty much. Um, in his mind, yes. Um, I definitely voice my opinion clearly, and I and loudly. I hear. <laughs> I was upset to hear about it, and now I'm worried because if we wanted to go back to the Aragon, I a friend of mine told me that he was in line for over an hour, mm-hmm. missed basically the whole first set, and then went to buy a water before New Year's, and they were sold out of water. So he was like, 
I love you, but if you play the Aragon, I'm not coming back. I mean, the staff is nice, and it's a nice-looking building, but why else would you want to play that room? Well... Rob there's is. not that many. There's not that many. Yeah, there's a. It's a very. It's a good money maker for us, which is great. But there's not another room in Chicago that you can fit five thousand people in, and it's lawless. You can go do whatever you. you so can, the Chicago Odd Theater is would the Chicago. The Chicago Theater has the ticket. Like we would have to charge way more money. You can't sell as many tickets. It's very seated. And, and you probably also have the same issue in, a th- in some of, when you go into some of the theaters is that they're not used to rock and roll shows. So now the bars are like way slow. You get a whiskey drink. It takes you 45 minutes just to have them pour it. Because, you know what I mean? They're just not used to that. Yeah. Our security's patting down people and busting them for the smallest things. And, and Dude, they took some people's prescription well, medicine, which is a real no-no. That's not legal. Right. If you have an I heard ID, multiple reports of that, which is very disappointing. Yeah. So like, and yeah, I, I realize that reflects on me and uh, and, and on the band. And now we kind of have a problem because we, we like, do we if we want to go back to Chicago, do we want to go back to the Aragon? I I don't know if people are going to be, believe that we can fix all these problems. So well, you don't run the venue, so I mean, you can only you, you can only go yell at Vince, then eat tacos, and you know, see what happens. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Oh, man, that just made me hungry, man. I think it's time for lunch. All right. well, we appreciate your time. Yeah, Let's absolutely. just wrap up with the, the two most recent projects. First of all, good God, Brendan, you recorded in Abbey Road. And mm-hmm. leading up to it, it came out of nowhere, even when we knew you were going to London. And I know people worked for you, man. We didn't even know this was happening until you actually got there and it was happening. Was it an intentional secret or was it, it just happened at the last minute? It happened last minute and we didn't, it was so last minute, we didn't even talk about what we were going to record. So when we got there the the night before, we were sitting around having beers. Like, what do you want to do? It was like, oh man, we should have talked about this before. <laughs> so we got in there, and like two of the songs we recorded, we didn't even plan on doing that day. So like, she's so heavy, we did not talk about doing it, and then we only had one take. So we're like, okay, what are the chords, real quick? Let's not blow this because we're in the church. <laughs> you know, it's like sacrilegious, um, and I think in hindsight, I've had. We maybe would have done a few things differently, but you know, like we played Bonnaroo on the main stage, right? And then I flew home and went to my 20th high school reunion and then got on a plane the next day to go to London. And then the next day was in Abbey Road. It was just kind of like, whoa. Yeah. And it was my, in the meantime, I had my first Father's Day where I was a father and I was out the night before till four in the morning with my high school friends. <laughs> so I was full of failure. But um, what was the other thing? I'd like well, I'd like to know any good Beatles stories come out of engineers or any any. Yeah, I didn't realize that John Lennon was he. There was a John Lennon shitter, like a specific in the bathroom. He used the one on the right. If oh, you I walk. got one of those. But I, well, I didn't know. Well, now I know. <laughs> and it's, it's known as that the John the, Lennon. Yeah, and he would if he it's had the to John shit, Lennon John. Yeah, it's the John John. And if he if someone was in it and he had to shit, he would just wait. Because wow. he preferred that one. So and somebody, if you met him at that moment, he would not be at his best. No, <laughs> no. And he, some one of my good friends said something. He's like, did you shit on the John Shitter? And I was like, what? No. He's like, dude, you blew it. <laughs> so apparently I, that's one of my great mistakes in life. And we'll um, have a whole other episode on your great mistakes. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes. Um, for, for the London session, that's. I also did not buy a coffee mug. So the Abbey Road coffee mug, right. I should have done it. And now if I get one, it's going to be on Amazon, and I'm going to know I'm a liar. Um, and we should end where we begin. And thank you so much for doing this. And Zonky <laughs> yeah, is, is, the new, is the new product. And I have to admit, sometimes even I'm a bad fan, Seth, because it's these mashups. 
Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> That's the elephant in the room. Yeah. Anyways, um, the mashups, which first of all, when you play them live, I mean, how much rehearsal goes into that? I, I was around you once in advance of, of the Halloween run. You played up here or somewhere, and you guys were just working your asses off. I mean, there's those must take some meticulous rehearsal to get them just yeah, right. Yeah, it takes more work than it should, and I think that's why we started by doing six, and then the next year was five and four and three, and next year we're talking about taking a year off. We put put out the zonky thing to kind of bury the idea and see if we can come up with something else. So I'm living in the moment right now in January. I'm not quite worried about October yet, but um, it, it would take a while because you have an idea, this song works with this, and then when you start to actually do it, and you have to make it work. Sometimes you have to change tempos, keys, and sing. And like Chris, you know, doing Sabotage, at first I was like, there's no way he's going to do Ad Rock. And he did it. I was like, you, you sound like Ad Rock, you know? But there, it's it's way more work than um, I think we ever thought it would be. But I was a bad fan in that when I heard they were going to do it in the studio, I was like, uh. And then, because uh, I thought it's such a live thing. But then I talked to Joel, and he's like, well, Rob, we could layer stuff and add stuff to it. And, and then I went back and listened to it, and it, it is an awesome, awesome record. Well, it's funny, because people, they ask me, like, how's your new, how's it about your new record? Because we were in the studio in November. We just cut 20 new tracks. We're going to put, I don't know when we're going to put it out, because it's not finished. And everyone's, like, talking about Zonky. It's like, Zonky, in my mind, was to stall so we could do a real one. And I'm glad it turned out the way it did, because a lot of people like it. And I think people that have never heard us will be a little more open to it because it's something they know. Is Attachments one of those 20 songs? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that song is really fleshing out, really rhythms coming at you and everything. Yeah, that's one of them. But then there's, it's probably about 60% stuff no one's heard. Brand new stuff that's not wow. finished. Cool. Well, we look forward to hearing it. Thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Rob, yeah, so sorry there's no time for any requests, but you can say goodbye. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I'm on request probation. I'll It'll be you. interesting if you request anything on the show and moving forward. I will. I will. I need, um, I need your hotline number. 1-800-555-1267-48371. All right. Thank you. Thanks, thank Brian. You. Yep. Love that Humphrey's music, and what a what a break for us to get time with Brendan Bayless, don't you think, Seth? Yeah, he was great. I, you know, like I said, uh, one of the things I've and I've said this a couple times uh, throughout our episodes. One of the best things about this podcast for me personally is these interviews become conversations, and the artists really enjoy the opportunity to sit around and chat with us and talk about things outside of, well, you know, we, uh, we first met in, uh, in, in Chicago and, uh, yeah, no, uh, you know, like that, that, that stuff you read on most articles, like these artists really 
tell us, they, they open up to us. We talk about things like you just heard. And we try um, and stories we put, like that. Just that. And we put a lot. They, of, they stand. And we put a lot of effort into it. And we try to avoid cliche questions. We try to avoid stuff that's already gone been gone over. So we want you listeners to know this is not. I, I know it can be frustrating. Music journalism. You read interviews and you get nothing out of them. Or you read reviews and you get nothing out of them. We're really trying to break that mold and bring you something to hang your hat on. Something so that you know your artist a little better. Maybe you become familiar with a new artist. So um, we're on your side. And Rob, I want to thank you personally for all the effort you've been putting into the show. For our listeners, I want you to know, Rob, uh, he does so much research on these shows, uh, on these artists. Uh, He spends a lot of time putting these pieces together, uh, the music and et cetera, uh, producing these shows. So, Rob, big love to you, man. Thank you because, uh, and also to Josh Thane from Wonder Dog Dog Studios. That's right, Wonder Dog. Wonder Dog Sound Studios. Say it one more time, baby. Wonder Dog Sound Studios. And our friend Ira Gross, you might remember from the Candler Park episodes, he provided the live music. He also dropped everything and came and uh, engineered our Brendan interview, came down to the hotel that we were at, and uh, that was very kind of him as well. But, Seth, before we get back to Jam Cruise, I just want to say I saw Blue Ground Undergrass. They're a band from... They had just reunited recently, and I, I'd heard tapes of some of their first reunion shows, and I was like, oh, it's nicer back, it sound okay, they had new material, whatever. Jeff Mosier, who I spoke about, had performed... Mosier. He had performed at the Holiday Hootenanny that I spoke about also in the Pete Sears episode. Um, Jeff mm-hmm. Mosier is, is the front man, and his, his brother, Johnny Mosier, and uh, they had Mark, Va- Mark Van Allen on Paddle Steel, who's Mark, wonderful. And phenomenal. Dude, Seth. They played two hours straight. They played a fantastic show. I, I, I'm going to start seeing more Blue Ground. I can't wait. I was so knocked out. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I cut my teeth uh, promoting music, uh, promoting concerts uh, with Blue Ground uh, in the uh, late 90s. In Tallahassee. And, um, in Tallahassee, we know. Tallahassee. We know. And speaking of Tallahassee, uh, I want to... Um, Tallahassee I, talk. We, 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 Tallahassee spoke, talk. we spoke of one, one death today with uh, the trucks, but trucks, but also... A musician, many of you probably don't know, a man by the name of Scott Campbell, a uh, guitarist, uh, lived in Tallahassee. He's one of those guitarists that just, you know, if you ever listen to, he did, a, he did such a wonderful Eyes of the World. Oh, God. He, would, he, he passed away this morning, um, but what a kind soul, what a, what a gentle human being. Uh, inspired so many musicians that came through Tallahassee. Um, he, he, he could have been, he could have been kind of like Colonel Bruce, you know, in that sense of, it wasn't about the limelight. It was about the performance. And he is going to be missed. Anyone that's anyone spent time in Tallahassee will remember the name Scott Campbell. All right, and just to cheer people up, don't don't get sad, everybody. Um, I, I have a bunch of friends, and we have an annual uh, conference championship party in in Midtown Atlanta. And this year was extra special. And I, I even periscoped this, but we were able to watch people come down Peachtree Street celebrating the Falcons conference championship congratulations to the falcons uh <laughs> i can't wait for the super bowl my two favorite teams are playing seth oh wow where oh, will you watch the super bowl i'm gonna be watching you at one big holiday my morning jacket in mexico baby do they do anything for the super bowl at that event oh my god we do one big super bowl party absolutely and the music- we have a huge party on the lagoon right there in mexico uh, we put the game on the big old screen right over the lagoon. It's a it's a it's a blast, and we have a, a guest chef out there uh, the, cooking some some good food. The, do the musicians watch with the fans? 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's uh, Next to Jam Crew's One Big Holiday is one of my favorites. Um, and the fact that like Atlanta's playing the Super Bowl is pretty cool. And Green Sky Bluegrass, I loved your show in Asheville. I was going to go see you again, but Seth dropped the ball. I went all the way down to Bucket Theater. <laughs> Seth dropped the ball. Sorry. Uh, I, I, would, I, would have been ta- I would be talking about your show right now, too. But, Seth, tell us more about Jam Cruise. Oh, Rob, you hurt my feelings, but I'll make it feel better by telling you about your cause. Uh, this band is one not to miss. They killed it on Jam Cruise. And this is how you know they're such a good band. When you look at the show and you're watching the band and you look around, you see musicians upon musicians watching them. They also sat in with a lot of different artists. Uh, I want to give some more uh, some highlights with Mo. Mo had an incredible two sets. Uh, one of my highlights of their set, though, was the Happy Hour Hero, Happy How, uh, Happy Hour Hero with Percy Hill. And Percy Hill made their made their uh, I would say comeback, if you will, on on Jam Cruise. They had a great set. Nate Wilson from Percy Hill did a piano set, which was just delightful. Uh, and also, they did this like uh, supposed legacy, the nonprofit organization. Uh, Percy Hill went ahead and, and in the in a, a very small hallway where they were doing their silent auction. Percy Hill sat there and, and did a performance, and it was so good. Very uh, cool. The band is. I love stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, come on, old school jam band, baby. Really, really good. Also, widespread panics. Jojo Herman brought his uh, new a new band called the Slim Wednesday Project. The guitar player, forgive me for not knowing his name, was so tasteful. You've got to check him out, Rob. You're going to love him. Uh, but Jojo was great to have on board. He was very, very comfortable on board. Him and Colonel Bruce did a bingo where Bruce called out the numbers and Jojo played the piano. And then they're like, what are we going to do with the number calling? So, so Bruce, started, Bruce and JoJo start calling the numbers like, first they B-54, and then they think of like, you know, baseball facts that go with the numbers and calling out ballers' names. It was, it, was, it was funny. I do want to give a couple more things. The Motet, uh, obviously you all know that there are, they're killing it right now. Uh, the new lead singer is, is really coming, and he's strong. But they brought out uh, uh, one of your favorites, Rob, drummer nikki gillespie nice. uh, and she crushed it oh um, yeah but, yeah and and the motet did a uh, deconstructing of a of a song where they they talked about um they talked about one of the songs off their new album totem and they um they broke it down and they they talked to each each musician talked about what they brought to it and their guitarist he, he was playing these licks on the guitar because he's funky you know like really like you know like up and down in and out kind of funk uh, and then he broke it down. It was really a smooth, very jazzy kind of vibe. Uh, and then they brought in how the horn parts came in. Oh, it, that, that was incredible. And, and another really, really, really amazing piece was uh, the Motet, um, Dave Watts, sat in. Uh, so it was Motet, Dave Watts, just Dave Watts and Motet, uh, with uh, the two guys, Dave and Tommy from Beat Antique, and Steve Berlin from Los Lobos. So the mm. four of them sat on stage and they talked about their world in, world music influences and they talked about how they bring these you know the BTNT talked about uh, the gamelan music and then explained how they brought it into their music and played it and all of them shared this experience. It was one of the most education uh, most educated experiences you know on the ship um, and it was really cool. The thing that was really really cool about it was so Dave Watts plays the bata drums. It's a it's a, it's a Cuban I believe uh, type of drumming. Now. The guys from Beats Antique never played those drums. 
he taught it to them the night before, and they played it on stage for the first time. Wow. And it was fantastic. Were you able These to... These are the moments, like, you get on jam cruise, you know? Were you able to get through it without interrupting the musicians? I'll, uh, Rob, you'd be proud. I actually uh, learned how to shut up a little bit. Thank you to you and this podcast. This podcast has done wonders for me learning how to shut the fuck up. <laughs> Can I get a recording? Uh, I don't believe we did, but that's why you got to be on Jam Cruise, baby. Since you got to be on Jam Cruise. Since you mentioned Dave Watson, since this was an Umphrey's themed episode, I feel compelled to mention that uh, December thirtieth, when I was out at uh, you know the Umphrey's New Year's run, the first night the Motet opened for Umphrey's, and not only that. Dave sat in and played drums, which freed Umphrey's drummer, Chris Myers, to front the band for a, oh, just wow. for an earth-shattering, Aragon, I, I thought the place was going to come down, version of Rage Against the Machine's bomb track. And Umphrey's McGee has released that. So if you go to the Umphrey's YouTube, YouTube account, you can watch uh, Bomb Track from the December 30th. I highly recommend it. It was just so good live. It just right to my bones. It was, ah, it was great. Loved it. Anyways, we should wrap this up, Seth. We, we should. i got to take this plane, but I want to say one more thing. Break science. Adam Deitch. Boram Lee. These guys are... Listen, if, you, if you're like someone that's like, oh, I don't like EDM, oh, I don't like electronic music, give these guys a chance. Give them a chance because they really understand music at a musicianship level. Uh, they, they break down things. I mean, there's a reason why they're called break science. It, it, they are great. Uh, very, very smart, very, very talented musicians. Um, Break Science, uh, Boromley, and Adam Deitch from Lettuce. Uh, so please check these guys out. Uh, all uh, Rob, yes. Jam Cruz, all the musicians I spoke to, they all want to be be on our show. So uh, we're going to be a busy. It's going to be a busy year. It's going to be a busy year. Well, good job coming back with some musical information. I, I'm I'm a little surprised. Thank you, Seth. Good job. <laughs> and I want to say, well, Mo fans, Mo Rons. Um, on the Horizon is an interview with a couple of their members. I'm going to their show in Georgia Theater as part of my preparation, assuming Seth you know, has the brain retention to actually get me on the guest list. Uh, I tried to, but Al said, Rob Turner? Hell no. I'm going to keep my shirt on this time. I totally, I'll keep my All shirt right. on. As long as they don't take <laughs> Keep your shirt on and keep people from talking. We'll be good. Mo fans are pretty good about that. They don't dance much. Oh. They're not big dancers, but they don't also don't talk over their band as much as other fish dead, even today deadheads do. I, I talked to Mo and I said, you know what I really wanted to do is during the Motet's deconstruction of a song, I wanted to bring Mo up so it could be Motet and Mo could learn a Motet song. They all liked it. I couldn't quite make it happen. Oh, Rob, one other thing. Sorry, this is so ADHD of me, but... Kamasi Washington, you were so right about that, man. He is incredible. The stage presence, incredible. The stage presence can be a bit annoying, a bit, uh, but the playing is very good. He, he's, he's a talent. He's a talent. Uh, he can be really a little frantic. He can be a little, little frantic at points, but when that band is on, they're wonderful. And apparently a bunch of the members of the band have recorded different stuff and they're, 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 uh, around the time he recorded that big record. Other guys in the band have stuff that they record around that time, and it's just starting to trickle out. I, I need to go back and dive into that. I remember the bass player. When they played here, the bass player just completely, the bass and the drummer are just sick. Now, there were a couple drummers. It was just phenomenal. But it did, uh, sometimes I wish they were a little more 
reserved with the crazy note stuff and i i don't the thing is i've i've been seeing jazz artists forever like i go see branford marsalis and he just is doing amazing amazing stuff but he's kind of walking around very casually on stage you know and he's played with everybody so when this young guy kamasi washington is standing up there like a prophet or something he looks like he takes himself a little too seriously i think he should soften up on the stage presence a little bit but damn when that band is on they're fantastic and they're getting young people into jazz and for that alone that's it right there that's for that exactly alone, it right there i would i would probably give, i mean i would give the man a back rub a really good back rub just for that alone yeah you know what give him a sun rub because sun raw lives through his music you can handle the sun rubs on the men <laughs> well rob thank you uh for making time um and thank our listeners rob give him a big thank you thank you listeners thank you josh Thane. Thank you, Ira Gross. Thank you, Brandon. Oh, Kevin Browning. Kevin Browning. So helpful. Thank you for helping us, and thank you for helping make Humphreys McGee what they are. Seriously. Thank you, Kevin. We'll be uh, back next, uh, next week with uh, another episode. So please, inside out, WTNS.com. And we leave you with this. Thanks for listening. If you listen to the end of the Brandon interview, he mentioned that one of the 20 songs that they were in the studio recording was called Attachments. This is the version from Atlanta, and this is a song I didn't like at first, but now it has won me over, and it has become a rhythmic, wonderful, uh, one of the most fun dance song, Humphrey songs to dance to already. So enjoy Attachments. Everything's left to your own motivation And even if you can't ever find it I know it never hurts if you gotta read a find What it means when you get down to it 